And we have been journeying through a series this whole summer that we've called Summer of Soul. And so every week we've had um, three, three guest speakers, and, but each week the, the overall theme has been around our souls. And so the, the, the whole goal of this series would be to um, refresh your, your inside person, right? If we focus a lot on the outside and the exterior, but we know that our, our soul is, when Jesus referred to the soul, when the Bible refers to our soul, it's talking about what's going on on the inside of us. And, and, I, and I think that when, the, when our soul is healthy, when the, when the inside of us is doing well, everything else follows in line. It's like, I believe it's First Peter or Second Peter where he's praying for the church and he says, I, I want you to prosper as your soul prospers. And as our soul prospers, everything around us, it seems to prosper as well. And so happiness is an inside job. And uh, this is good, brother. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, um, and it's always on the interior of us. It's, and that's where I think the Bible focuses the most on. It doesn't focus a lot on stuff and the exterior part of our life, but it focuses a lot on our spirit and our soul focuses a lot with, with what's, how healthy are we on the inside. And, and, and so last week, we, we talked about probably the most famous verse about the soul where Jesus is talking to a crowd with his disciples, and he says, you know, it'd be a really bad day if you gain the whole world. And he's talking about all, all the stuff, riches and the kingdoms and power. If you, if you rise to the top of the totem pole for your life while you're here, but in that process, you lose your soul. And so we talked about what, what does that mean? Can, can you lose your soul? And, and I, I don't think that what he meant is that, is that we can actually lose our soul like we you know, left it at Walmart. I, I got to go back and get it kind of thing. I, I think what he means is that we can get to a place in our life where our soul is not running our life anymore. We're motivated by other things, exterior things, money, power, wealth, fame. And so our soul is there, but it's, it's, it's not at the center of who we are. It's, it's a little bit schismed. It's broken up. It, 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 we may not even recognize it anymore because we're moving on a whole other direction and our soul is trying to get us back to center. And, and today I, I want to close this series out with, with this talk and, and I'm going to call it the centered soul. And, and in the book of Psalms, which I, I think is called the, we could call that the book of soul. The, the, the soul is referenced to over a hundred times in the book of Psalms. David writes about the soul all the time. He, you know, and you'll notice in the book of Psalms, he talks to his soul in like third person. He'll say, soul, why, why are you downcast within, within me? You know, uh, put your hope in God. He, he talks to himself. And I'm glad that's in the Bible because I thought I was crazy. You know what I mean? And anybody that talks to yourself, I'm glad that's in there because we kind of get to see the inner thoughts and the inner workings of, of King David and, and how he encouraged himself and how he got his soul back on track with, with the purpose God had for his life. And, and, and the psalm I want to talk about today is, is it's known as a psalm of ascent. And so there's a string of psalms in the book of Psalms that are called psalms of ascent. And basically, it just the reason they call them that is they would, they would sing these songs as they were heading to church. And so Israel is a city on a hill. If you can imagine, if you've been there, you can imagine it. But it's, it's kind of a, an incredible setup. It's surrounded by mountains, but it's, it's, the elevation is high. And so as families would be traveling to Israel for worship, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent. 
And so as they're heading to church, they're singing these psalms. And they all had specific purposes. But, but I, I like these psalms because I believe that these are, these are centering psalms. These get our focus on, on God. These get our focus, our, you know, all the distractions going on during the week. And so we're heading to church and we're kind of getting in the headspace, right? I think athletes do that. You know, you, they get in the right, they want to get in the zone. They get centered on what they're about to do. And so some listen to music, you know, some have different routines that they go through before the game, but they get centered on one thing. And that's what I think these psalms do, these psalms of ascent. They, they center us to, they center our soul back, you know, kind of connection with God and, 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 and eliminates some of the distractions that try to pull us. But it gets us in a place to where we can really receive from God and, and what he has for us. And Psalm 131 is this, the psalm that we're going to read today. And it's a pretty short psalm, but it's powerful. Charles Spurgeon, who's known as like the Prince of Preachers, an incredible preacher from you know, about 100 or so years ago, he said that this is a, a, the short, one of the shortest psalms to read, but it's the longest psalm to learn. And it's just three verses, but I want you to think about that. So imagine this, this psalm is written by King David, and it's meant to kind of center our focus so that we can receive from God and hear from God. And it goes like this, Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes, they're not raised too high. I don't occupy myself with things that are too great or too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Three quick verses. And you can see kind of the, the focus of this is he's, he's, re he's referencing this to a, a child with his mother. He says it twice, like a weaned child, my soul is within me. I'm going to read it in the message. This is a paraphrased version. It says, God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasize these grandiose plans, but I've, I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Like a baby content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait for hope. Hope now and hope always. All right, so let's talk about this for just a couple minutes. So this three verses, I just want to give you four things, I think, in this verse that will help kind of center your soul, help, help you kind of stay on path with your purpose. And what I want to point out right out of the gate is, is this, soul has, this, this psalm has like two extreme polar opposites. The first thing he talks about is, is like unruly ambition, Right? He, he says, God, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not meditating. I'm not occupying my mind with things that I know I can't control or I can't do anything about. And so he, he comes right out of the gate with that. He's like, I, I'm, I don't have these ambitious plans to build my empire or build myself up. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. And then the other end of this psalm, the other thing that th this is like a maintenance psalm. The other end of this psalm is, I, I'm not a needy child constantly needing something from you. So you see the two opposites? 
You've got one guy in this seat, and he says, I'm the captain, and I call the shots, and if I want it, I'm going to go and get it. I'm going to find a way, or I'm going to make a way, right? That's what the Roman Empire, they would say that during the Roman Empire. We're going to find a way, or we're going to make a way. And so it's, it's unruly ambition. He says, I'm, I'm not too ambitious, God. And then the other side is, but I'm not a constantly, like, you know, crying baby always needing something from you. And so somewhere in the center is where we want to be. Somewhere in the center is how we get our soul in a place to receive from God, and, and our soul comes to a, a place of health. And, and so I'm just going to go through this psalm like line by line. The first thing he says is, God, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. And I think what he is saying there is, is that if, if my soul is centered, the centered soul surrenders to God the things that it cannot control. The centered soul, the soul that is at ease, the soul that is, is, is healthy, it's, it surrenders to God the things in our life that we cannot control. And so we all have things in our life that we cannot control. I think 2020 really like showed everyone <laughs> how little that we control in our lives. And so, so how do we unpack this? I think the first thing is, uh, so, so how do I define what I cannot control in my life? Well, what, what can you control? I mean, you can't control other people. You can't control your boss's attitude. You can't control your children. Come on, can I get an amen? Right? As much as, you, as, much as we try, I mean, you just, you just lose control. And as they get older, you got less and less control over what they do and where they go and what they say. And so, so what, what can I control? And I'm, I'm like stepping out on a limb. I'm going to give you three things because I, I think these are, um, you know, not, not at all times can we control these things. But I think the first one is, is no matter what happens to me in my life or what happens to you, I can control my thoughts. Right? I can control what I'm thinking about. Some people, it's really hard for them to do that. And I, and I know that. But for the most part, I can control what I'm going to dwell on. I can control what I'm going to allow to occupy my mind 24-7. I have that control. I can't control what other people think. I can't control what other people think about me. <laughs> but, but I can control what goes on in my mind. Philippians 4, verse 8, I don't, I don't think I put this on your handout. But, but the writer tells us whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is right, what, what, whatever is lovely and admirable, think on these things. And so one of the ways that we center our soul is we begin with what is in our, it was in our minds. What is occupying our minds? What's going through our head? Because that's the devil's workshop, it really is. And the, the, the armor of God, right? We, we know about the armor of God, and it talks about this, this breastplate of righteousness and the helmet, which is the helmet of salvation, to, to, to block the fiery darts of the enemy. Well, how does he shoot those darts? Well, he can't make you say anything. He doesn't, like, show up with a pitchfork and audibly talk to you, but I think he can sow some really crazy thoughts into your mind. He can make you believe things that aren't real. He can try to get you to dwell on thoughts that are negative and, and that are draining your soul and draining the life out of you. And so one of the first steps that, in like getting our soul centered is saying, all right, I can't control so much, but what I can control is what's going to come in my mind first thing in the morning. 
I'm not going to pick up this sludge machine and start reading the news. Come on, somebody, right? I'm not going to start pumping that in my mind. I want to know what's going on in the world. Like, we should know what's going on in the world. That's a good thing. I'm glad that we can now track the other 7.5 billion people in the world. And so, that, you know, that, that's happening every day. But that's probably not the best way for me to center my soul. Probably shouldn't get on social media, first thing. Like, like so, so, the, so my thoughts, I can, I can control my thoughts, what I'm going to dwell on. And that leads me to the, to the kind of the next thing I can control. And this is really, really hard for me and probably a lot of people, is I can control my words. If I can control my thoughts, I can put it there without having it come out here. Come on, somebody, right? Like, like, like I, I can, if I can control my thoughts, if I can get my mind focused, then, then I can probably control the words that are coming out of my mouth. And so that, that's one more step into getting centered. That I'm going to start, my, I'm going I'm to meditate on what's good and lovely and pure. And then the next part of that is, that's what I'm going to speak. Proverbs, I mean, it's full of it. But, it. but one verse which is so powerful is, it's like death and life are in the power of your words. And you can literally speak life over yourself. And you can speak death over yourself. You've probably seen this study, and I'm, and I'm going to reference it again. But they just, like, said vulgar words over one plant. Just, just like, said mean things to it. I don't know what you say mean to a plant. Like, your leaves aren't pretty. Or, I, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know what they said to the plant. But somebody talked to a plant and said bad stuff to it. And uh, I don't know how that went down. But then they had another plant that they spoke words of affirmation. And do you know the plant that got like, you know, cussed out all day and told that it couldn't ever bear any fruit and its leaves were ugly? It like withered away. And then the plant that they spoke life over blossomed and grew and flourished. And so if a plant, y'all, is impacted by words, how much more me and you in the words that we speak, not only over ourselves but other people, and I can't think of anything else in the Bible that God said that he would inhabit. And in Psalm 22, not in your notes, Psalm 22, I think it's verse 3. It talks about when we worship, when you worship, that it says God inhabits the praises of his people. So when you begin to be grateful and thankful and you lift your voice and sing songs, that's why we start every single service with worship. We want God to show up, right? We, I mean, we want God to inhabit this place. We want, and I'm thinking that's why they had these psalms of ascent. So, so as they're getting ready to meet with God in the house of God, they're already inviting his presence with them. They're worshiping and they're singing. So God inhabits your praises. How powerful is that? To know that if you begin to worship, when you begin to worship, it's like God looks out over heaven and says, what's going on down there? I think I need to step on the scene. So if God inhabits the praises of his people... What happens when we complain? If God inhabits our worship, who inhabits our worrying or our complaining? And so your words are powerful. So you want to speak life. You want to speak the word of God over yourself and over others. And here's the third thing, and I'm, I'm really stretching it on this. I can control my thoughts. I can control what I say. And I think, I think in some aspects we have control over our calendars, your time. That's the most valuable asset that you have. You can get more money. You can get more stuff. 
You can, you can take more, va- you, can, you can take and, you know, get all this, you can gain those types of things. But time is the most valuable, non-renewable resource that you have. Your time. And every moment you get up, it's, it's yours to spend how you want to spend it. And you can say, well, I've got to go, I've got to work this, I've got to work 80 hours, and I, I've got a, a boss that's just crazy. You don't know my boss, right? Like, like if I'm four minutes late, they're calling. They're te- I mean, I, I know there's some aspects of your calendar that are kind of set. But there's one thing that you can control, and that's what you're going to do with your time. Where you're going to go, who you're going to meet with. What's going to be important to you? And, and that's what I can tell is important to someone. I don't have to ask them. I'll just let me see your calendar. Where do you spend the most time? Is, and, I, and I get it. We live in a culture that works hard and, and kind of, you know, so you've got to grind till you, till you shine, right? And just work, 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 work. But sometimes you can work, 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 work for yourself right out of a healthy soul. And pursue things that are good, but they're not You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? And so one way that we can get our soul back, one way that we can keep our soul centered is that we're really, really, really good with our time. We put the big rocks in first, right? Like we we make sure I'm I'm spending time with my family. That's a priority. I want to be in the house of God. I want to worship. I want to come to church, right? It's one week. It's once a week. One week. We're going to have a week revival, y'all. That say, <laughs> One hour, you know, we, we, I mean, we do our best to make sure that we, we're respect, respectful of your time. But I'm going to put those big rocks in. Because if I don't, there's going to be something else that takes, my, you know, takes our time, takes, you know, our, our, our energy, our focus. Ephesians 5, verse 16. This is not in your notes. Make the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. I think what they mean by that is there's always going to be somebody pulling for your time. And if you don't mark it and go ahead and set that time apart for family and friends and worship and reading your Bible, it's just going to fill in. It's just going to fill in. So the centered soul, the centered soul surrenders to th- the things to God that it cannot control. So practically, what do we do? Okay, so if I could control my time and I could control my thoughts and I could control my words, well, well, what can I control? Everything else. You can't control the stock market, the weather, no one else, right? Another person. You can't control anybody outside of yourself. Like, like you, we have very little control over this life. And this is what the Bible says for us to do with that. And I love this illustration. And this is, this is you know, Peter, y'all, y'all know, y'all know the, the, the apostle Peter, right? And he was a little rough around the edges. And he kind of like tried to kill somebody when they came to get Jesus. And they cut their ear off. And he was a fisherman. And so he used fisherman illustrations. Well, while we were on vacation this summer, we, we went to a church down in um, I think it was Big Pine Key. It was called the, the Church of St. Peter the Fisherman. And there was this really cool like um, statue of him out front illustrating this, this verse right here. So what do we do with all the stuff we can't control? Well, you stay up all night and worry about it. That's what you do. That's number one. Tell all your friends about it, number two. And then post it on Facebook, number three. No, no, this, I think it's simple. This is what, this is what the, the Bible says to just... Cast all your cares on God. 
Everything that's taken sleep from you, everything that you're worried about, those kids, those that finance, I mean, all this stuff, the business, your employees, he says, just pray about it and then cast it. To, to cast something means to just throw it away from you as far as you can. Cast your cares on him, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all. Why? Because he cares about you. Because there's just things that you cannot control and worrying about it ain't going to do one bit of good. And anybody that's ever fished before or thrown a net knows the only way to get the good stuff in is you've got to throw that net out. And so you throw the worry and you throw the stuff you can't control and you bring in joy. And you bring in peace and you bring in contentment and you bring in a healthy centered soul because you're not up worrying about all this stuff that's going on in the world that you can't control. One of our elders gave me the best advice I've ever, Sam Gurman, because I I tend to worry, y'all. I got a PhD in worrying. (laughs) He said, Nathan, you need to put that stuff in a bubble and let the bubble float away. (laughs) Some of you, you need to put some stuff in a bubble and let the bubble float away. All right. So, so, so the, set, the next thing that he talks about is he, he not only says that, okay, so, so I know what I can control and I know what I can't control. But then he goes on and he says this, I don't occupy myself with things that are too big for me. And I love that that's there because, again, this is King David, y'all, writing this. And at the time, he was probably the most powerful person on the planet. He, he ruled the largest, in, I mean, he was the king of Israel. They sang songs about King David, about all the battles that he had won. He had power, he had wealth, he had influence, he had access to, I mean, he, he was kind of the top of the totem pole. And even David, King David said, there's things in my life that are too big for me. There's things in my life that I can't, can do, that I can't do. And I think what he's saying by that is, is that David had an only God category in his life. That there are some things that, that, that you're praying about, that you want, that you're dreaming about, that only God's going to do. And so the centered soul has an only God category. An only God category. That, that's where you put all those things that you've worried and you've prayed and you've cast it off and it didn't happen. You just you put those things in your only God category. I have dreams, I have, I have a vision, I have things that I believe that God wants to do in my life and through my life, but I don't want to get there through striving. I don't want to get there in my own strength. I, I know that there's things in my life that God wants to do in me and through me, but he's going to have to do the heavy lifting. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says there's secret things that belong to the Lord. There's some things in our life that we're just never going to be able to understand. There's some things that are just left in a mystery. But there's revealed things that we can know, that we can work on, practical things. But but I have an only God category in my life of things that I know that are only going to happen if he does it. I want you to have an only God category in your life. Students, I want you to have an only God category in your life. So I think what begins to happen is when we start putting things in this only God category is we give him something to work with. When we acknowledge that our strength runs short, and I know I want to be a doctor, but I don't know if I've got enough here to do it. Only God's going to make a way there. 
I know I want to start that business, but I don't have enough resources, and I don't have enough money, and I have no help. So I'm going to just go ahead and throw that in the only God category, right? And I'm going to believe God that he's going to bring the resources, and he's going to bring the people. Like, like we, we, so what we do is, is like we work God into the equation, and it's not just on our shoulders all the time. There's some things that happen to us in life that we got to put in the only God category that we'll never understand. People that leave this, this earth too soon, people that leave our lives with no explanation, they just walk out. Only God, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I've heard it said that we can, we can die in the why. When we try to figure everything out, well, why did this happen? Well, why did that happen? Well, why did they do that? Why did they say that? Sometimes you just gotta throw it in the only God category. One day it'll make sense. One day I'll know. And that list gets larger for me the older I'm getting. As I realize now how much that I, I just don't understand and I can't control, but I got to put it in the only God category. The centered soul has an only God category. And then we walk, we walk into this, this last part, and this is the heart of the psalm. And we're going we're to pray. I got two more points. He compares himself, his soul, to a nursing child. Two times he talks about that. But my soul within me is like a winged child, like a child that has grown and, 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 and was with mom and is starting to detach from mom. And he, he says this about the process. He says, I've, I've quieted, I've calmed my soul. And the, I think the difference between a weaned child and a child that hasn't weaned yet is the child that hasn't weaned, it cries and it gets what it needs. It does whatever it has to do to get what it can get from mom. And the whole purpose of it is to wake mom up and get her attention. You know what I'm saying? Like, so we got, a, we got some babies in here right now. We got a six or seven weeks old. And so it's like every hour, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like every two hours. You, you know that. Because that baby's up and that baby's crying. And you can hold that baby. That baby wants some food. <laughs> right? There's a purpose to the crying, right? There's a purpose to, to what, and that's a health, that's, that's what every child has to do. Psychologists call it a secure attachment, that children need more than just food and, and a place to sleep. They've seen that with orphanages where the, these kids were being born, and so they would just feed them and give them what they needed, but they weren't developing the way they needed to develop because they're really looking for a secure attachment. They're looking for mom, they're looking for someone to love them, someone to connect with them, to be there, safety. But as a child weans, that begins to go away. And so they cry less. And what I think what begins to happen is that that child no longer wants to be with mom because of what they can get from mom. That child wants to be with mom because they love mom. Don't want nothing from mom. Don't want any milk. I'm all good. I just want mom. And so David is comparing his soul to that. And I think what he's saying is that as our soul is centered, it, it, we detach ourselves from outcomes. So how many times do we go to God and we ask God and we beg God and we get his attention because we really need him to do this? God, I need you to work this out. I really need this miracle. I really need this. I, I, I got more month than I got money, right? Like, like we, we go to God and we pray and it's because we're kind of in a crisis. 
or we really, really need something. But David said, no, as I, mat as I matured, as my soul began to center within me, it was like a weaned child. I just wanted God for God. I wasn't trying to, to make God do something for me. I wasn't connected to outcomes in my life. God, I'm going to do this if you do this. It's just like, no, I just want to be with you. Habakkuk 3, verse 17 it says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, there's no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, the field produces no food. There, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. He's saying, everything I prayed for hasn't happened. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The centered soul is content with just being with God, even if they don't get one more thing from him. And I think that's where David is taking us. See, sometimes we can, like, we can come to God and, like he's like this heavenly sugar daddy. You know what I'm saying? We yank the chain. God, I need this. Well, you know, yank the chain. I need this. Yank the chain. And, and God's saying, I, you know, I don't think that bothers him. You know, I, I mean, I love to give my son. So when he comes to me and asks me for something, if I can do it, I'm going to do it, right? You know, he wanted my 30-30 last week. I gave it to No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, so, so a blessing too soon, right, can, can be bad for him. So we know that God is wiser than us. So think about that. We ask for stuff and we don't get it. Well, maybe God knows something that we don't. Maybe God knows that this is part of us growing. This is part of the growth process. That he wants us to move from just coming to him for stuff or to fix our life, but, but just coming to him because we want to spend time with him. I think Jesus modeled it so well in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God, he prayed to his father three times. He knew the cross was coming. He said, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me. I, I don't want to do this. This is, uh, this is tough. God, is there any way around this? But at the end, he said, you know what, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so it's this walk of faith. It's this walk of faith that as we grow, I think, as we mature, that there's some days where we're walking by faith and not by feeling. And we're just trusting God, even when we don't see what we were prayed for, or we don't get the answer to our prayer, that it's, it's just deeper than that. It's like, God, if I don't get another thing from you, you've been so good to me in my life. I've got so much in my history, I can praise you for an eternity. For what has got me to this moment right now. And so the centered soul begins to let go of outcomes. I thought I was going to get that house, and I didn't. I thought they were going to stay, and they didn't. I thought I was going to get that promotion. I prayed and fasted. I really wanted that car. I anointed it. Come on. <laughs> I marked it and thought I would park it, but I never got it. You know what I'm saying? I declared it a million times, and, I, and it never happened. And you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Because the centered soul can say, I have everything I need in you. Job was there, though he slay me. He's taken everything I've loved. Oldest book in the Bible. He lost it all. But he kept his soul centered. And he said, though I lose everything that I thought I needed in my life, 
Though he slay me, yet I will, I will trust him. He's faithful. I have everything I need. And so the last point I think this psalm really illustrates is that the centered soul is content with loving and being loved by God. That's all we need. To know that God's love is real and to be able to love him back like that child that has been weaned from its mother, doesn't want anything from her, it's not trying to get something, but they just want to, just, just wants to be together, just wants to be in their presence. And I'm going to read this one last verse before we pray. It's in Isaiah 49. It says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast, have no compassion on the child that she's born? Though she may forget, this is God speaking to you. I want you to let this sink down into your soul this morning. Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. Look at this. This is how much God thinks about you. He says, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hands. Isn't that amazing? You ever thought about that? I mean, how much do we think about God? Probably, I mean, me, not, not a whole lot. I go hours and days, and he, it doesn't even come in my mind sometimes. I hate to admit that, but I, there's times where I can get so busy and so focused on what's going on where, where the thought of God is not in my mind. But I can tell you with 100% certainty, there's not a moment that goes by where you're not on God's mind. And he's thinking about you. And not only, I mean, this, he, so that, that verse, I researched it. I didn't know what it meant. Like he, to write someone's hands or their, their name on your palms. And so I, I read about sailors back hundreds of years ago when they would leave the port and back before they figured out trade winds and trade routes, when that ship would leave, there was a good chance they would never see them again. And they would actually tattoo the names of their family and friends on their hands. And it was a way to reassure their family that no matter what I'm doing, I'm thinking about you. There's not much you can do in life without your hands, right? I mean, you, you can't create anything, you can't make anything, you can't really do anything without your hands. And it's amazing to me that that verse is there, that God said, your name is on the palm of my hands. To me, it's like no matter what I'm doing in this world, no matter what I'm doing on this planet or in your life, I want you to know I'm thinking about you. And I love you. Sometimes we need to hear that. And so I want you to just bow your heads. We're going to go to God in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that you haven't forgotten us, that every person in this room are special to you. They're your children. God, and what a beautiful picture of your love that you've written our names on your hands. That when you're working and when you're creating, You see the names of every person here. And after the resurrection, when you were going around showing everyone that it was really you, it was the scars that convinced them on, their, on your hands of the love that you have for us. 
It's a reminder that we're not alone in this life. I think it's a reminder that all of our needs, it's out of your hand that you provide all of our needs and that we may go without everything we want in this life, but we'll always have everything we need because you are such a good provider. You're faithful to us. And so, Lord, in this moment, I just pray, God, that you would center our soul on you. Calm us, Lord. Help us. Help us to realize and live every day knowing that everything we need is already there. We don't have to go out and look for it. We don't have to strive for it. But surrender trust in a God who loves us. And so in this moment, I just, with every head bowed, every eye closed, is there some outcomes in your life that maybe you need to give to God today? Are there some things that you're frustrated about that just haven't happened and you thought at this point in your life that you would be somewhere different and you're not? You didn't think life was gonna turn out this way and you had an idea in your mind and the way you thought it was gonna be and it turned out completely different and the outcome was nothing like what you prayed about. I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, I give everyone and everything to you just in your own heart right now. God, I give everyone and everything to you. Everyone and everything. You are faithful, you're a good God. And when I breathe my last breath, I am gonna surrender everyone and everything to you. There's nothing I can take with me. So why don't you start here right now? Give them your business. Give them your family. Give them those hopes and those dreams that maybe you've given up on. Give them everything. Lord, I give everyone and everything to you. I place it in your hands. I'm not an owner, I'm a steward. There's nothing in this life that belongs to me. It's all a gift. It's all grace. So Father, we thank you that you're a good God. We thank you, Lord, that we have everything we need right now in this moment. We have it in you. And we surrender it all. We surrender it all. If you're here, every, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you've never given your life, surrendered your life, maybe you've prayed a prayer or you signed a card, but you didn't, you didn't really lay your life in his hands that's everything that's that's your time your talent your treasure put it all in his hands i said a prayer i wrote i wrote my name down but but i just kind of went back to doing my own thing and trying it my own way i want to give somebody the opportunity to surrender your life and place it in his unseen hands that are so faithful and it's the safest place to be if that's you, I just, I just want you to slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. I want to surrender my whole life to God. I've never done my whole life. Just slip your hand up, up and down. My whole life. My whole life. Thank you. 
my whole life was just up and down. I want to surrender it to him. And we do this because God said, if you acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you. It's just up and down. Thank you. I want to surrender my whole life. Thank you. I've held on to some places. Thank you. I've, I've held on to some, some areas in my life. And you know what? I don't want to hold on to them anymore. I'm ready to cast my cares. Thank you. I'm ready to cast my cares on the God who is faithful. I've tried it my way. Thank you. So Lord, I just, I just thank you for every person that lifted their hand. God, meet them in that place of obedience. Meet them in that place of surrender, Lord. We know that you're moving right now. And I pray that you would meet them in that place of surrender. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.